You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. I want to welcome you all this morning. This is as we approach Christmas and Christmas Eve and celebrating the coming of our Savior. Uh, This is the first Sunday of Advent. And we'll be continuing in our series through Matthew, but in Matthew 10, we're specifically going to be looking at how Jesus sends his disciples out because he was sent to us. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, if you've never opened the Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the racks and the chairs in front of you. I believe Matthew 10 is on page 528 in that. And when we think about Advent, Advent is a time of reflecting on the coming of Jesus into our broken mess of a world to rescue and restore, that Jesus was sent from heaven into our world, this world that's broken by sin, that's marred by destruction and pain and war. And even this week, we've seen multiple shootings and That is the world that Jesus entered into. And we also, in this Advent, this season, we also look forward to his return. We await his return amidst the pain, amidst the sorrow. And so as we've been in Matthew, we started out almost a year ago in the beginning, and we saw how Jesus enters into this story of Israel that He becomes part of their brokenness, part of their sinfulness, that he is God the Son, come in flesh to be with us. And then last week we saw at the end of Matthew 9 that he is the good shepherd, as Joe also read in our call to worship this morning, that is moved with compassion towards his people, his sheep, and he came to lay his life down for them. So the last couple months or so, we've been in chapters 8 and 9, and we've seen Jesus show his power and his authority over and over and over again, that he has the power to heal, to restore, and even to raise the dead, as well as the authority to forgive sins, authority over creation, and authority to judge evil. And so we saw these nine stories that were interspersed, like every kind of triplet, every three stories, there was this call to discipleship of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's all been building up to now here in Matthew chapter 10 is this great call, this long teaching. This, in, Ma- in the book of Matthew, there's like these five big sections of Jesus' teaching. And we- We saw the first one on the Sermon on the Mount, and now we've come to the second one. And so we'll be in Matthew chapter 10 for the next few weeks, and here we see Jesus call his disciples to himself and send them out. And he gives them the same message that he's been preaching of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he gives them his power and authority that he's demonstrated, and he instructs them on how they are to go and spread this message as well as what they should expect. So I will be reading in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. And it says this, 
And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers and cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Here we see Jesus sending out his disciples, but he's sending them out not just to preach, not just to do good works. As we saw at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, where these people come to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not proclaim the gospel? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And he tells them to depart because they never knew him. That the purpose of Jesus sending out his disciples here is that others would hear about Jesus and know him. And the end of this chapter, this teaching of Jesus sending out his disciples in verse 40, and we're going to see this again and again, is that whoever receives you receives me. That Jesus is telling his disciples that those that receive them receive the teaching that they have, that they receive Jesus. And whoever receives Jesus receives the one who sent him. And as Jesus sends his disciples out, he's sending them out in the same way that he was sent, that we are sent in light of how Jesus was sent. And as we're sent, we are sent to point people to Jesus. We do all that in the manner in which we go, to whom we go, and in whatever we face when we do go. And Jesus here is sending his disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And Jesus himself was sent to his people. And here, Jesus is having like a particular teaching in this particular time on this particular journey that's going to 
have ramifications for their continued spreading of this word of this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven that has come to restore and repair all things. And so Jesus tells his disciples to go first to Israel because the promises were to them, were to God's people. And God chose them not because they were great, but because through this people, through this weak people, he would be made great. He would be made known. And then through this family, then all the other nations would be blessed. And so as we go through the book of Matthew, that this mission is going to expand from just the house of Israel to the whole world. That we see at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, that Jesus, his last words to his disciples are, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so far in Matthew, we, we even got a foretaste in this in chapter 8 when Jesus heals the servant of this Roman centurion and he tells them that many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. That through this message to the people of Israel, that through their rejection and ultimately leading to Jesus' death on the cross, that after he is resurrected, that this message, this kingdom expands to all nations, that God is making this new humanity in Christ one where all can receive it. And so Jesus' instructions here on this journey as they go to the house of Israel like it, the instructions will apply to when they go to all the nations. And as we go through chapter 10, it'll also start expanding and expanding and leading more and more towards that. Um, and we saw in the call to worship this morning in John chapter 10 that Jesus is the good shepherd of not only this flock of Israel, but he has sheep of another fold. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus sends these disciples out to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, that it's at hand, that it has arrived that what they've been waiting for of this, this king that would come to save their people, that would come to lead them into righteousness, that would come to pay for their sins, that it's here. The one that is going to redeem and restore all things has arrived. And so they're sent out to declare this message over and over again going from town to town, person to person, telling them about Jesus. And when we think about the lost sheep, that not only are we lost without Christ, that this analogy of Jesus as this good shepherd, as one that 
protects, that fights and attacks those that devour his sheep. It also tells us something about ourselves, that we're often foolish and self-destructive, that like sheep, we just tend to wander and go towards what we find is pleasing. Wherever we go, we, we wander from the rest of the flock and we keep going and going. Uh, I, whenever I think of lost sheep, uh, there was this video that went viral, I think maybe like a year and a half ago, of there's along this fence, there's this little crevice, probably about like this wide, and there's this sheep or lamb that's stuck inside of it. And this boy comes and he's pulling the sheep out, yanks it out by the leg, and it hops out, it's jumping around, and then it jumps right back into the crevice, that we are foolish and destructive, and we go again and again to the things that God has come to save us from. That, like, in Proverbs 30, that the writer of Proverbs there is like lamenting that he hasn't learned wisdom, that he is weary and broken, and he says he's too stupid to even be called a man. That is what I think of when I think of myself as a lost sheep, that I need to learn over and over again. I need to be rescued again and again and led by my shepherd. Or in Jeremiah, it talks about how the people of Israel, these house of Israel have committed two great evils. One, they've rejected God, this fountain of living waters, the source of life, that they've gone their own way, that they think that they can find their own life elsewhere. And so they hew out these broken cisterns to try to find their own satisfaction. And that this is, this is us that we are lost and we're going every which way to our own destruction without the shepherd. And so Jesus, as we saw at the end of chapter 9, that he has compassion for these lost sheep and he doesn't leave them there. He tells his disciples to pray and to pray for laborers to go into the harvest, to start gathering his flock. And then he fulfills that prayer. He calls his disciples and he sends them out. And he sends them out not just to proclaim the kingdom, to proclaim this good news that has come, but to also care for not only their spiritual needs, but their physical needs. And so they heal the sick, they raise the dead, they cleanse the lepers, they cast out demons. And we see over and over again, and we'll see as we near the end of Matthew in Jesus' teaching that as we do those things, as we feed and water and visit the least of those, that we do those things for Christ. That he sends them to the outcasts, to the lepers that have been cast out from the rest of society. He says, Go. Be near them. Visit those that are hated. Visit those that have no hope in the world and bring this good news. And when we think about being sent, sometimes we have this question of why does God send us? 
He doesn't need us. We see in the Gospels that Jesus tells the Pharisees that he can raise up children of Abraham from the very stones, that God can save people without us, and yet he calls us to join him in this work. That God doesn't need us to gather his sheep, but he desires to lovingly come alongside his children to know them and shape them into the image of Christ by working through them. I, I think of kind of this analogy of a father working on some kind of craft or metalwork or leatherwork in his workshop, and his child comes alongside him and wants to join him in the work. He could do a much better job himself, and yet the child wants to be like him. And so he teaches them and guides them, and they join in the work, and they become more and more like him. And so when Jesus sends out his disciples, he's sending them out as a way that they can grow and change and be more and more like him. That often we don't feel ready, that we don't know what to say, and yet Jesus gives us the words to say. He tells us to just tell the people about him. Tell them about what he's done for us, that he's brought us from death to life, that he's brought us from darkness, from following after those things that never satisfy, to find Christ instead. And so we proclaim what he's done for us. And then there's times when we're in the middle of pain and sorrow and suffering, and it's hard and confusing to know how we can share this good news. And yet even then we have hope in the midst of suffering that one day he will return and that will end. As we sang earlier, that until glory we trust in him, knowing that he will give us hope and strength in this barren land. And Jesus, he was sent, he was sent to suffer with us and for us. And so even in the midst of pain and sorrow, we're called to share this good news, to expound on the greatness and comfort that we find in Christ and in Christ alone above all else. And he sends his disciples out, and often we think, I don't feel called to go to the ends of the earth, or maybe we do. Like, I'm just going to go across the ocean and tell others about Jesus. And for both of those, both of those we have questions of that should give us pause of, if we feel called to go overseas, are we making sure we're also sharing the loss now? Are we sharing the good news about Jesus with those in our lives? Because if we aren't doing that here and now in our workplaces and the stores that we visit, how would we ever, when we go across the world? Or if we think that I'm just not called to go overseas, then I want you to wrestle with, are you idolizing comfort? Are you willing to lay that down to follow Jesus? Jesus who laid aside everything, that he didn't count equality with God to be grasped, but instead 
left heaven and came into the brokenness, that he became a man, that he humbled himself as a servant even to the point of death, that that is the king that we follow, and he leads us to do the same. And so he sends out his disciples to give freely because they have received freely. That with what he has gifted them, with the talents, the abilities that he's blessed them with, he calls them to now give and give without pay, give freely. And so a question I want us to think about is when you serve others with your talents and abilities, what is your motivation? That do you serve to get something in return, some recognition, pay, advancement, to be loved just out of obligation or guilt as an escape to just care for others so I don't have to think about my own pain? That often we're motivated by greed and selfishness. That we think only for ourselves and what we can get out of this. That it's like we've been given hundreds of tickets to a concert and told to invite people in and then we start charging people for it. Um, rather than sharing this joy, this goodness that we've received. That Jesus calls us to use everything that we have, our talents and our abilities for the building up of his kingdom and not our own. And he does this by calling us to himself, by calling us to find our joy in him above all else. That we see in Hebrews that Jesus endures the cross. He despises the shame because of the joy set before him. Because he knows that at the end of his race, he will save his people. And likewise, we know that at the end of this race, that we will have him. Have him that comes alongside us, the one that comforts us in our afflictions, the one that pays the penalty and sin that we owe. And so when we think of how we serve others, that we should let joy in Christ be our motivation. And that's not something that we can do in and of ourselves. It's something that we have to pray over and over and over again for God to sh change us and shape us. That, that the Christian life is one of repentance, of constantly turning from our own desires to turning to him. And we also see here that not only are we sent to give freely of our giftings and talents, but we are sent in urgency. That he says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts or bag or tunics or sandals or a staff. That the word acquire there is like procure, like to gather for a journey. He's, he tells them, you have what you need, now just go. That the harvest is ready, that the time is short and the days are evil, so go. Go and spread my kingdom. And when we think of this urgency, this short time we have in our lives, how do we use our time? And when you think of how do I actually use my time and actually analyze that, 
then there's that deeper question of why do I fill my time with those things? What am I looking for to satisfy me rather than Christ and how I use my time? That he gives us, in light of eternity, just this short time on earth that before us is eternal joy, and yet often we trade that for temporary pleasures, temporary satisfaction. We pour our time into our work, our job, and fun and pleasure, rather than taking this time we're given for him. And as he sends them out in this urgency to use their time well, to use their time wisely, that he just sends them out without a big plan. That they're not prepared, they don't have all of these extra supplies, but rather he does this to teach them to be dependent on God. And that doesn't mean that we never prepare, we never make plans as we go out in various ways to tell others about Jesus, but it does mean that we don't make godless plans, plans that we can do ourselves. And I, I struggle with this. I plan everything out almost to the T, and most oftentimes it doesn't happen, but I do it over and over again, and then I rely on myself rather than relying on God and others. That often I go about my life in self-reliance, and I trust in my own plans rather than just trusting in God and making plans and letting him shape them. And as we think about going to the ends of the earth as, whether that's here in our city, or God sending us out far away, that when we think about doing this, as we think about missions of spreading this news of Jesus, this great news, that we can learn something here of urgency, dependency on God, but also that sometimes we just have to go. Um, there's this quote I saw a number of years ago from John Piper of talking about this strategy for missions, for reaching the lost, that spreading this good news of this kingdom, that he wrote this, as a strategy for missions, ready, fire, aim, is a better strategy than ready, aim, aim, aim. I'm not going to read all those. There's nine of them. But there's no fire. That oftentimes we just have to go and trust God to redirect our paths. That if we obey his call, if we are faithful to what he has called us to, he'll bring us to where we're needed. Um, rather than just sitting away, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for just the moment when we finally think we're ready, rather than just going and trusting him to guide us, to provide for us, to give us the strength to carry on. 
And so if we're making godless plans throughout our lives uh, every week, like my challenge to myself and to you is to devote more time to prayer and to Sabbath and resting. That I don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. That you can sleep, you can trust God, that he'll do the work that he plans to do. And also here we see as he is sent out his people to give freely of their talents. He sent them out in urgency and to depend on God and to use their time for him. That we also see here that we're called to support the spreading of the gospel with our resources. That there's kind of this tension here of the one that's sent out to proclaim the gospel, to tell others about Jesus, like his motivation or her motivation shouldn't be pay, shouldn't be to earn money and wealth for themselves. And yet, those that receive this good news are called to provide for and care for those that do go and share the gospel. That, that what we have, what we are given, is meant to build his kingdom. And Jesus often says in a few different places of that where our heart is, where our treasure is, that's, if it's not in him, it leads to death. That if we took a hard look at your finances, if someone looked at your finances, where would they say your heart is? That often we use what we have for what brings us pleasure, what satisfies us in the moment, or what brings us protection and security and makes us feel comfortable, rather than just using what we have for what we need and then giving the rest away. That we are called to this radical lifestyle apart from the world that the world often finds their comfort and joy in our possessions. And this is especially relevant now with Black Friday being two days ago, and we're entering Christmas season, and the world and culture is telling us to buy, 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 consume, consume, consume. Get all this stuff, and it will bring you joy. It will bring you happiness. Yet we know it won't. And yet we still do it. And so this call to use our finances, use everything we have to build up his kingdom, whether that's giving to our church or to other ministries or to ministers or to missionaries or for feeding the poor and providing for those that don't have much, that it's meant to strip, us, strip this anxiety of the world from us, that we don't need all these things that will just slow us down and distract us. That we can run this race less 
encumbered. We can strip it aside. We can look to Jesus and run towards him. And that doesn't mean we never have fun, that this isn't a call to just disregard anything, any good gift that God gives us, but it's meant to lead us to the question of, if I'm going to spend my money this way, why am I doing this? Is it to build up the kingdom of God? Is it to bring praise and glory in this good gift that God has given? Or is it to just distract myself from pain, to give me a little hope for a little while? That if we radically give everything with our time, our resources, our talents and abilities to him. Like It's not a call to just sacrifice because he calls us to something even greater. He calls us to himself. That we do this because we've received him. That he is the satisfaction of our souls. That we can learn to have much, we can learn to have little if our contentment is in him. Now we see in Proverbs chapter 30 that the writer of Proverbs that I mentioned earlier, he writes after realizing how foolish, how unwise he is, he asks God for two things. He says, one, fill me with honesty. Strip aside falsehood and lying from me because I can't do it myself. And two, Fill me with contentment. Just give me what I need, lest I have too much and just forget about you, or lest I have too little and be tempted to steal and take for myself. But also this call towards contentment is also a call to care for one another, to come alongside one another, that to bear each other's burdens requires we take on the cost ourselves, just as Jesus took on the cost of our sin. That to care for those that have burdens means carrying some of their emotional weight, means sacrificing our own time, our own resources to care for others. And then here at this end of the section, He's calling his disciples as he's sending them out to, like, as you go into these towns, you'll, some houses will receive you, some will reject you. That some way it is by God's grace that some will receive them. That by nature we all reject him. And he tells them that those that reject them, that if they are actually pointing to Christ, they reject him. That those who receive us when we point to Christ, they receive Jesus. Those who reject us when we point to Christ, they reject Jesus. That there will be some that won't welcome us, that if we're actually following Christ, if we're actually living out his teachings, we'll see later on that 
we're not better than him, that we will face what he faced. And yet, let this not be a warrant to behave however you want to behave, because if they're rejecting us, not because we're pointing to Christ, but because we're a jerk, then we're not modeling Jesus. And they are rejecting us and not him. That he calls us to be innocent as doves, that there shouldn't be anything in the way we behave that should be an obstacle for others to know him. Because the cross is a stumbling block enough. There's no reason to add to it. And so, Jesus calls us to be like him, to spend time with him. That he doesn't just call us to something that's impossible, but he calls us to what's impossible, that we would spend time with him. And he will shape us and make us look more and more like him. He will divert our desires for all these lesser things that we think will satisfy, but that don't. And instead, he'll give us himself. And here we see that as they leave towns that reject them, that they shake off the dust from their feet. And this isn't as shocking to us as it was to them. That this was a common practice for Israelites that as they go through pagan, Gentile lands, those that don't know God, that they would shake off the uncleanness as they would leave. And here, Jesus is telling them to do it to the towns of the Israelites. That if they reject this message of this kingdom, they reject Christ, then they are no better than those that never knew him that Christ is the only hope that we have. And then the question is, how long do we stay? When do we, as Jesus said a few chapters earlier, when do we determine when we're just casting pearls before swine? And that's a hard question. As we analyze what we do as a church of, is this fulfilling the call to reach the lost, to reach those that don't know Jesus, to tell them about him. That it's a question that we have to wrestle with of when do we move on? And yet we we keep moving. We never stop. And the biggest example I see of this is Paul and Acts as he's nearing the end of his life, as he's about to be arrested, as he's heading to Jerusalem after he's done all this work to tell others about Jesus. In Acts chapter 20, he gives these words to this group of elders from Ephesus. He says this, "'You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia.'" serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, 
testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That Paul year after year, faced imprisonment, faced being chased out of town, faced beatings, faced stonings, shipwrecks, and trials, and being hated. And yet he kept going until here he said, finally, I've done everything I could. My hands are clean, and now I can continue on. And we see here the effort that it takes. And we know this. We have friends and family members that don't know him, that seek after relationships for satisfaction, that seek after money and possessions, just as we once did. And yet, we're called to, again and again, to point them to the one that saved us. And here we also see that there's judgment coming for those that reject Christ. And when I think about judgment and the anger of God, it always, I don't know really how to talk about it. Anger in general makes me uncomfortable. I tend to shut down, just leave the room. I don't know how to handle my anger well or when others are angry. And yet God here is angry against sin. He's bringing judgment. He's bringing justice. That what has corrupted and caused pain to his creation, that he's doing away with. That I think of, even as a child, reading the, the children's story, Velveteen Rabbit, of which, if you haven't read it, is about this boy that has this toy rabbit that he loves, and through the love of this son, the rabbit becomes something real, it becomes alive. But there's this part in the story where this child gets scarlet fever, and they have to burn and destroy every toy in his house, in his room, because it's sickening him, it's hurting him. That it's the same here with God and his creation, that he is angry at what is causing pain and destruction to what he has made, and so he's going to do away with all of it, all the sin and death and destruction, and he will bring justice to those that 
our suffering. That this is our God. Our God that cares for his sheep, that will protect them, that will wash them, that will cleanse them of everything that holds them down. And as we talked about Jesus sending his disciples out to give freely of everything that they have, Jesus doesn't send them out to do something that he never did. That Jesus freely gave up all he had when he was sent by the Father to redeem the lost. That he gave up his power, his might. He became a man. He entered into this broken world to face suffering, to face death, to be tortured and beaten and mocked for us. That this is the God that we have. This is the King of all kings. The one that lays his life down for his people. And so to be his disciple, to follow after Jesus, that means we too freely give all that we have to point the lost to him. Not to point them to ourselves or to his gifts, but to point him, to point others to him. And he calls us to be wise as serpents, to be wise with everything that he's given us, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, and to be innocent as doves in our walk, that there wouldn't be anything else standing in the way of our proclamation of who he is and what he's done. And as Jesus sends out his people, as he sends them out, just as he was sent out, he doesn't send them out alone. That we see in other accounts of Jesus sending out his disciples that he sends them out two by two. That they're given other believers, other people that have been adopted into this family of God to live life with alongside. But even more so, we see at the end of Matthew that Jesus is with him. As he sends them out, it says that, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age, that Jesus doesn't just send us off. He sends us and goes with us and empowers us through his spirit, his spirit that constantly points us again and again to him and to what he has done for us. And so Jesus is the king that has come into this broken world, the one that has freely given up everything that he has to redeem his people, to redeem the lost, the ones that are sick, the ones that are dead in their sins, the ones that are cast off from the rest of society, the ones plagued by darkness, that he comes to call them from darkness and into the light. He calls them to be with him. That this Jesus is the good shepherd. This Jesus is the one that is with his sheep 
and loves his sheep and protects them and guides them and leads them and gives up everything he has for them. Let us pray. God, there is so much in our lives and in our hearts that we run after that's not you. Again and again, we go to these things, and yet you don't leave us there. You bring things into our lives to shake us of what we falsely put our hope in, that we would come to know you, that we would come to place our hope in you and find our joy and satisfaction in you and in you alone. And God, you desire to know us, to love us, to work with us, to cleanse us, to make us look more and more like your son. And God, we need your help for that. We can't produce anything in and of ourselves to do what you have called us to. So God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to strip aside every burden and every sin that slows us down and help us to keep looking to Jesus as we run this race that you have set us on. And God, as we interact with those in our workplaces, in the stores we go to, in our daily lives, help us to be your presence. Help us to point others to you. And even in our failures, to be able to admit that we are broken and messed up and in need of a Savior just as everyone else. So God, we ask that throughout this week, throughout the rest of this day, throughout the rest of our lives, that you would be at work in us and be at work through us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.